The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here's your top five at five. Bracing for a Wall Street reality check. Attention turning from earnings to Jay Powell and the Fed ahead of this week's Jackson Hole meeting. This as stocks come off their worst day in weeks. Futures pointing to more losses at the open as European energy prices soar again and the euro falls below $1. In China, that country's central bank taking another drastic step in trying to juice its economy and its troubled property sector. Friday's big sell-off and one meme stock favorite not doing much to deter retail investors who are holding on for dear life. And with all the news about droughts and heat waves around the world, we actually have some good weather-related news for you. It is coming up in your morning RBI, and it's all happening on this Monday, August 22nd, right here on Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome, as always, from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan, and we have got a lot to do on this busy Monday. So grab a cup of coffee, buckle up, and here we go. First up to the markets and your money. And right now, we are seeing stock futures down across the board. In fact, NASDAQ futures, they are off considerably down 200 points, more than 2% for the NASDAQ. All this is the S&P 500's four-week win streak came to an end last week with a more than 1% loss on Friday. It's worst single day since late June. The big focus will be on the Fed's Jackson Hole meeting in Wyoming later on this week. That kicks off on Thursday. In the energy markets, we are seeing crude oil fall. Concerns about a European slowdown, maybe a global recession now. We're seeing crude oil at 89 bucks, down about 1.7%. But look at natural gas. Natural gas at $9.56. That's a 14-year high. Folks, natural gas goes into almost everything you make, buy, or maybe is trucked somewhere. That is going to be extremely inflationary, particularly on the utility side and likely your power costs, particularly if you heat your home with electricity over the winter. By the way, natural gas in Europe, it says hold my beer. Natural gas now over 70 U.S. dollars equivalent in the European spot market. Russia saying that the Nord Stream pipeline will shut down again for maintenance on August 31st until September 2nd. And there is growing worry that Russia may not restart it on that day or at all, which would then lead to immediate gas rationing and add to an increasingly dire situation in Europe. Look at that chart. They're paying more than 70 U.S. dollars. We're at $9.50. They're at 72, 73 bucks, depending on the month contract. That is simply unsustainable. All right, around the world, some big moves from China's central bank overnight, plus investors on edge of a coming recession in Europe. There is a lot going on, so let's go truly around the world here on Worldwide Exchange and kick off the week with JP Ong. He is standing by in Singapore. Juliana Tattlebaum is in London. JP, let us start with you and what is happening on your side of the globe. 
Well, Brian, good morning to you guys out there in New York. And yes, the big news uh, that everyone in Asia was really watching out for were the loan prime rate cuts that were widely expected in China. Now, you might argue that this barely qualified for a haircut. You're talking about the loan prime rate, which is usually a rate that's submitted by 18 commercial banks, the PBOC, which is the Chinese central bank, to set as a reference for loans in the world's second largest economy. The one-year loan prime rate was uh, trimmed by about five basis points, but the five-year loan prime rate saw a slightly more modest a a more significant uh, trim, that is, of about 15 basis points lower. Now, all of this is connected to to try and bolster and help help backstop the world's second largest economy, which is really seeing a significant slowdown. We saw banks like Nomura trim the GDP forecast for China to grow by only 2.8% on a year-on-year basis this year. This is, of course, related to some of the COVID-19 lockdowns that hit them in the first half and also an ongoing power shortage caused by a heat wave in Sichuan that's really... uh, seen many local governments actually encourage some form of power rationing. So there are a number of hurdles and obstacles for China to try and revive their economy. We've seen this also play out in stock markets today. While the rest of the region saw a step back, Shanghai and Shenzhen closed comfortably in the green on the back of some of these hopes that there will be some stimulus and more stimulus to help backstop the economy and markets in general. But more significant also is that the loan prime rate, the five-year loan prime rate, was cut back a little bit because of the, uh, the to help... And this is the prime rate, I mean, that, that is usually used to set loans in mainland China. Of course, the property sector, another one of those big drags that everyone's watching out for, a number of, pos- of, uh, of, uh, of mortgage holders boycotting payments because they're not getting their, the deliveries of their apartments on time. And they're really hoping for more stimulus to help at least uh, soothe some of the issues and, and the structural issues in this particular sector. So, so far, we've seen some stimulus help markets in China this Monday. But the big question moving forward is, will there be more uh, more? in the weeks ahead. Brian, back to you. That is the big question, and the answer will be in the weeks ahead. JP, thank you very much. All right, now to London and Juliana Tatabon with their markets, some of their key headlines. And Juliana, I was watching your show here as I prepped, and you guys are also talking big time about this, this European gas and energy disaster. And I hate to use the word, but I think it's an absolutely appropriate term. It does feel like an appropriate term, Brian, if we're looking at potential blackout days in January, because there may not be enough natural gas to uh, provide electricity, heat homes, et cetera, et cetera, in Europe. Those high natural gas prices, high electricity prices seem to be part of why we're seeing heavy selling in Europe this morning. But it's not the only reason. We also heard from the German central bank chief over the weekend calling for more aggressive interest rate hikes from the European Central Bank to combat rising inflation. If we're looking at a European economy that is facing high energy costs already, if we're also looking at higher interest rates, that creates a very difficult economic backdrop. So we are seeing heavy selling in Europe. The Zetra DAX is bearing the brunt of it, down 1.8%. Germany particularly exposed, of course, to Russian gas supplies. That news on Friday that Gazprom will be shutting the Nord Stream pipeline for three days at the end of the month, just adding fuel to the fire in terms of the selling pressure. The CAC 40 in France down 1.7%, a little bit more resilience in the Swiss market. We've got healthcare stocks performing fairly well this morning, relatively speaking. A little bit of resilience as well in the FTSE 100. We're down just six-tenths of a percent. 
Turning to FX markets, we've also got some notable moves in the euro. And Brian, I know you've been tracking this all morning. The euro crossed below parity with the dollar this morning. We're teetering right around that $1 mark right now, down about two-tenths of a percent. Normally, when a central bank raises interest rates, that would put upward pressure on the currency. But because of what higher interest rates mean for the growth outlook in Europe, investors are not taking that as a sign to, to buy the euro here. So if you're thinking about going to Europe and you've got an American passport, things are getting cheaper. Finally, in terms of corporate news, Brian, I want to highlight for you some key management changes at Credit Suisse. Credit Suisse has named Dixit Joshi its new CFO as the Swiss lender continues its C-suite reshuffle following last month's appointment of Ulrich Corner as chief executive. Credit Suisse shares down about seven-tenths of a percent. Brian? Yeah, and Europe desperate for energy. They're going back to coal, but some of the rivers are so low that they can't get all the coal they need. And nuclear is not running as well because the rivers are too low to run the nuclear plants to cool it off using all the water that is no longer simply there. It's just on top of on top of on top. Juliana Tadabam, thank you very much. Or we'll talk about more on that in a couple of minutes here. Right now, let's get some of this morning's top corporate stories stateside, including a group of Apple employees who are saying no thanks. Coming back to the office, Frank Kahn is here with those and more. Good morning, Frank. Hey, good morning to you, Brian. As you mentioned, some Apple employees are reportedly pushing back against the company's return to office mandate that's set to take effect next month. According to a petition by a worker group called Apple Together, which was seen by the Financial Times, staffers argue in the past two years they've been able to perform, quote, exceptional work while out of the office. Apple CEO Tim Cook says returning to the office three days a week by September the 5th will help preserve the in-person collaboration that is essential to Apple's culture. United Health, Amazon, CVS Health, and Option Care Health are all reportedly bidding for Signify Health. According to multiple reports, United is in with the highest bid in excess of $30 a share, with Amazon's offer close behind. Signify is reportedly holding a board meeting today to discuss the bids with final offers due by September the 6th. And Warren Buffett apparently has no plans at the moment to acquire a controlling stake in Occidental Petroleum. According to multiple reports, despite approval to buy up to 50 percent in the company's shares, those who are close to the Oracle of Omaha say he has a well-known aversion to hostile dealmaking, and it would be just out of character for him to make a bid without sounding out the company's executives and directors first. Occidental shares are down this morning, but they were up almost 10 percent on Friday when this news first broke, Brian. Yeah, it's a big deal there, Occidental. I mean, a hot stock. Frank Collin, thank you. We'll see you in a few minutes. Appreciate it. All right, let's get back now to the markets and your Monday money, which maybe in a wait-and-see mode, I don't know, as we went the main event this week, that is Jay Powell's speech in Jackson Hole on Friday. Let's bring in now Ross Mayfield, investment strategist Ed Baird. Ross, good to have you on. I know all the attentions on the Fed. I've been watching Europe. you got China increasingly in disarray. What are you and your team most closely watching right now? Well, most closely, it's still the Fed and U.S. inflation. I think that kind of leads the world markets. Obviously, there's idiosyncratic issues in Europe to keep an eye on. China cutting rates, even if it's slightly, does seem a little bit ominous for global growth. But it, it kind of starts and ends with, with the Federal Reserve and what inflation on the U.S. side of things looks like. Um, so, so to your point, we're watching Powell closely at the end of the week. We expect him to strike a slightly hawkish tone. I think they're going to want to continue to jawbone inflation at least until year end. Um, I think probably some of this talk about a pivot, some of the rally in equity markets has uh, Fed governors a little bit on edge. Um, but, yeah, it's, it starts and ends there. And that's what we're watching closely this week and in the weeks to come. Powell's the epitome of the two-handed economist. Well, but on the other hand, I mean, every time he goes hawkish, 
he kind of adds like a dovish layer of frosting to it, does he not? Just so he maybe, I guess, can be right no matter, no matter what the ultimate outcome is. If he does turn a little more dovish, Ross, meaning they won't hike rates maybe as aggressively in the next couple of meetings as the market thinks, is that the green light to buy stocks? So I think I think a distinction here is really important. I do think that if they continue to hike rates, continue to, to be a little hawkish about inflation, but maybe slow the pace as QT ramps up. So you kind of have on one hand slowing interest rates, but on the other hand, uh, quantitative tightening ramping up. I think that's fine. I think as long as they keep inflation front of mind and fighting that battle, I think investors can feel confident um, probably to leg into stocks. You know, you'll get some volatility, uh, but but I think the green light is there. If they cut rates next year. I actually think that's a bearish outcome. So for a long time, markets have been pricing this pivot, not necessarily of, of slowing the hikes, but of outright cuts next year. To me, that seems like a bearish outcome. I think they're only cutting rates if something dramatic has happened to the economy, whether it's a recession or something geopolitical, external hits us. Um, so if they, if they start to just slow up um, let quantitative tightening maybe take the baton a little bit. I think that's fine. I think you know it's not going to be necessarily uh, totally risk on for equities, but it is it is a sign to me that they think the economy can handle these rates and that they're not yeah. going to pivot at the first sign of pain. And you do wonder if our markets may actually benefit from the world as investors come here because we look disproportionately better. Ross Mayfield, we'll get you back on again soon to talk about it. We appreciate you getting up early, Ross. Have a great day. Thank you. All right, folks, we are just getting started here on WEX. And when we come back, why traders are holding fast in their support for one meme stock favorite, that despite Friday's big sell-off, you could probably guess who that is. Plus, digging into Ethereum's recent win streak and what is ahead for crypto. And later on, someone call a Lannister. Technical troubles hitting HBO Max during last night's House of Dragon premiere. A lot to talk about. We're back right after this. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Concerns about a recession in the next few months, not just a problem here in the United States. It is also being felt now around the world, including particularly in Europe. The outlook for Germany, the continent's biggest economy and the fourth biggest in the world, is looking increasingly bleak, seeing a record jump in producer prices in the past month that rose 37% year on year. That's on top of soaring energy prices that we're seeing again surge this morning. Supply chain disruptions and what scientists are calling an historic drought across the block. So we have to ask, at this point, is a recession or worse in Europe inevitable? Let's talk about it with Karsten Bresky, head of global macro at ING Bank. Karsten, really good to have you on. I mean, listen, when we asked you to come on last week, we didn't realize that over the weekend, Gazprom would say, oh, we're going to shut down the Nord Stream again for a couple of days due to, quote, maintenance. Markets increasingly nervous. They may not turn it back on on time, if at all. 
73 U.S. dollar equivalent natural gas, a desperate race for coal. How do you see this shaking out in Europe? Well, you used the word, Brian, before, disastrous. Uh, I think there is no other word for it. Maybe the other one would be we're in the middle of a perfect storm. So obviously this Gazprom decision is, again, just playing with Germany, playing with Europe, just showing who actually is more here in in charge of what's going to happen this winter in in, in Europe and in Germany, particularly with the, uh, the energy problems. I think, you know, the recession is inevitable. The only question is how severe will this recession get? We have too many problems, supply chain frictions, the war, high energy, high commodity prices. We now have the low water levels. So all of this, in my view, means that we're going to see a contraction of the European economy in the third quarter, fourth quarter, and also in the first quarter of next year. Yeah, we want to be clear. I mean, uh, Gazprom blaming this this mysterious turbine issue. Germany has basically come out and said it's garbage. I mean, they're, they're effectively calling... That excuse a lie. You mentioned the water levels. Coal is having trouble getting through because the Rhine and the Danube are so low now, Karsten. Um, what would be the, the, the best case scenario? I mean, storage levels are at 80 percent. That's good news. But that also assumes that flows of gas continue even with higher storage levels. Uh, what would be the best case scenario for Europe the next six months? Well, lots of rain in the coming days and weeks. And this would yeah. help. The other one is that um, that we will continue that these national gas reserves are increased. And like you just said, indeed, I think that is the only silver lining that we currently have, that most countries, including the German, uh, the Germany, are ahead of their own schedule. So um, if we were really to see these national reserves being filled by 90, 95 percent, first of November, I think we should get through the winter, at least through January and February, even if there was a complete stop to Russian gas. So that, in my case, is the only best-case scenario that I can imagine. This will not take away, don't forget that, this will not take away high energy prices on on households and consumers. So this consumer recession is inevitable. Even the the, the entire recession is inevitable. In this best-case scenario, it would be a mild recession, probably leaving no harm to the labor market. In a worst-case scenario, we would also see the labor market turn around. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, ironically, you're talking about the weather. I mean, literally praying for better than expected weather or more rain now and then a milder winter is the new strategy, which is just simply unbelievable. Um, The euro broke below a dollar again this morning. I think it's the lowest now it's been in 20 years. It actually broke below. It just wasn't at parity earlier today. Is there a risk, Karsten, of a sovereign debt surprise in a negative way? Somewhere, I mean, I was in Greece in 2009 watching people throw Molotov cocktails at banks, and you just wonder what's possible again. I don't see a sovereign um, European crisis popping up anytime uh, soon. I think the problem here is it's all about politics. Um, Because, you know, the, the good thing is that inflation is actually helping European government debt through the denominator effect, so that, that, that is positive. I also don't see, and that's the political one, I don't see how any European government would currently have an interest in getting a euro crisis on top of this very long list of already downside risks, crises 
So Europe will, um, will, will really stick together and they will throw more money at it if necessary. So we will not see a new euro crisis. What we will see in the winter, and don't forget that it's also very explosive, we, will, we could see a social crisis. But we will see that uh, the households, the people with low incomes, obviously they will suffer most when they see their energy invoice being yeah. tripling or quadrupling. Yeah, and a group in, in the UK and probably it's going to spread is basically saying we're not going to pay and the government can, you know, shove off. And I'm using uh, nice words. Karsten Bresky, we appreciate it. We'll get you back on again. This is an increasingly worsening situation. All right. Still on deck, Elon Musk raising the price again for one controversial feature in his Tesla lineup. I'll tell you about that coming up. Dow futures down almost 300. NASDAQ futures off 2%. Euro below a buck. We're back after this. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through... It's true magic, because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. All right, welcome back. Time now for a quick market flash. Bed Bath & Beyond extending last week's losses in the pre-market. It's down 10% right now. Of course, it got crushed Friday down 40%. This after big stockholder Ryan Cohen reportedly completed his liquidation of his entire position. But according to posts across Reddit, Twitter, and the rest of the interweb, retail traders are not swayed by the recent downturn. With some arguing Cohen may not be done with the stock just yet. Others believe the stock could rise to more than 200 by the end of next year. Of course, that's just chatter. We'll see what happens. But look at AMC stock right now. The original ape. AMC is down 35% right now. Down 645 a share to 1157. No real news here. This is just that trader sell. GameStop, by the way, down 5.5%, which looks relatively mild. Could be another wild day for these stocks. Buckle up. AMC down 35%. Bed Bath & Beyond down 40% last week. Bitcoin and Ether prices also moving lower this morning after what has already been a rough few days of trade. Both down big over the past week as the wider crypto market fell. But on a longer timeline, like the last couple of months, but a different story. Ether continues to outperform its big brother, Bitcoin. Let's talk about all that is going on with my friend and colleague, Mackenzie Segalos, who I think is on the West Coast still. So you probably just stayed up, Mac. Either way, we appreciate it. Good to see you. Good morning, Brian. I did get some sleep. Uh, So as you said, Bitcoin and Ether both down. We're looking at double digit losses in the last seven days. Bitcoin more than 12%, Ethereum more than 17%, and it's a similar story for other cryptocurrencies with the collective market capitalization of all tokens falling more than 11% over that same time period. Now, this latest drop in prices, again, coincides with worries over inflation. You mentioned that data out of Germany that was unexpectedly high inflation data that came out Friday. Meanwhile, we also got updated guidance from the Fed. Officials there say they are, you know, they remain committed to raising interest rates until they're able to curb inflation in a meaningful way. Now, that's not surprising, 
But for a time, we thought that those rate hikes might not be as aggressive as initially anticipated, which would have been a good thing for those risk assets like Bitcoin and Ethereum, because digital assets tend to perform better when there's more liquidity sloshing around the system. Indeed, Bitcoin prices were moving higher in June, July and part of August, which is right when investors were increasingly talking about inflation having peaked. It appears those hopes have been dashed. Brian? Yeah, so what's the next big thing? I know Ether's got this big transition coming up, sort of a big carbon footprint move yeah. as well. Is it, does, the, does the crypto market follow the Federal Reserve like the stock market does, or does it follow some of the regulatory issues like the FDIC now warning you know, players like FTX to stop misleading customers? It, what, is it following regu- regulation issues, the Federal Reserve, or see something else? I mean, some combination thereof, right? You mentioned Ethereum's big upgrade, which is coming uh, September 15th. We have seen that token outperforming Bitcoin in recent weeks, obviously not in the in the past seven days. Uh, that factors in. Cryptocurrencies are not the inflation hedge that a lot of people thought that they might be. And then this FDIC update. So on Friday, uh, the agency called out five different crypto companies saying that they were confusing their customers. Uh, And this is a significant development. They sent out these letters to the five companies, including FTX US, which is, of course, the crypto exchange controlled by Sam Bankman-Fried. These cease and desist notices accuse the companies of misleading consumers about the insurance status of their funds. And of course, the FDIC covers federally regulated bank accounts up to $250,000 per account. The issue here is that the FDIC is saying, hey, you're making it seem like your crypto products might be FDIC insured. They are not. This has become a huge sticking point in recent months. Because remember, Brian, the now bankrupt Voyager Digital, which was very popular among retail traders, owes at least $1.8 billion to its creditors. It was also called out by the FDIC for doing exactly this. So it's, it's, it's factoring into the price moves, most likely. It's just a grab bag of things that are, uh, that, that are pushing prices. Yeah, meme stocks getting crushed this morning. Crypto's down again. They all kind of go together, it feels like. Mackenzie Segalos, getting up, staying up. Either way, we appreciate it. Mac, <laughs> hope to see you again. Thank you. All right, all ahead, we are watching the Apple Relief Rally. Take a bit of a pause with the rest of the markets. What your next guest says you should do amid the recent pullback and what's on tap for Apple maybe on that big reveal day on September 7th. Stock features down big. We're back right after this. All right, it's 532 on the East Coast. Welcome or welcome back, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us. It is a very busy Monday, and let's get right now to the markets and your money and see how things look to start the week following Friday's big declines. And unfortunately, they're not looking a whole lot better right now. In fact, NASDAQ features down 1.5%. Dow features down just about 1%. Certainly not tooting our own horns, but remember, this increased volatility, particularly selling, is something that we talked about Last Thursday and Friday, with all the options expiration that was occurring, clearly a lot of repositioning for the big funds and the new options month. And just remember, not to ruin your start of your week, September is historically the worst month of the year for stocks. Hooray. Sorry. With that in mind, 
Stock futures, as we said, they are down. Again, we talked about that options volatility Thursday and Friday. Market structure matters a lot. Let's also take a look at the weakness in currency markets because the U.S. dollar, it is on the rise as the euro, it weakens. In fact, the rising risk of a major recession or maybe worse out of Europe has been pushing the euro lower against the dollar, and we are back at parity. In fact, about an hour ago, it was below $1. We were at 0.9999 cents. That is something that we have not seen before this year in 20 years. Remember, a stronger dollar, particularly against currencies like the euro, can influence a lot of things, from corporate earnings to the price of oil. Watching the U.S. dollar get stronger. All right, let's get now to some of this morning's top stories, including one of Tesla's premier features about to become even more expensive. Frank Collin is back with that. I guess we're going to need more dollars for this one, Frank. <laughs> yeah, it seems like everything's going up, Brian. That includes Tesla raising the price of his yep. premium driver assistance system. CEO Elon Musk announcing that ins- the install fee for the full driving system, as it is known, will go from $12,000 to $15,000, a 25% increase. That will take effect on September the 5th, with Musk adding that the current price will be honored for all orders that are made before that date. Musk did not mention whether subscription prices for the service, currently at $199 a month, will also increase. And Ford says it plans to appeal a $1.7 billion verdict against the automaker over a deadly crash involving one of its pickup trucks in Georgia. The company announcing the move Sunday after a jury late last week ruled in favor of the plaintiffs in the civil case focused on claims of defective roofs. A a husband and wife were killed in 2014 after a tire blew out on their 2022 Ford F-250, which then rolled over. The suit also targeted Pep Boys for installing the wrong-sized tires on that truck. And the premiere of the Game of Thrones spinoff, House of the Dragon, leaving some viewers in the dark after the HBO Max app crashed. Several thousand viewers being impacted. HBO saying the issue seemed to be among viewers connecting to its, its Max app via Amazon Fire, Amazon's Fire TV platform or Fire Stick. Brian, the Amazon connection is an interesting coincidence, given that the new Lord of the Rings series is seen as a big rival to Dragon, and that's on the, the Amazon platform. I'm not trying to get all conspiracy on you, but a lot of people seeing a coincidence there. Back over to you. But throwing it out, fine, throw it out there. They've got their premiere, you've got yours. Oh, guess what? Your premiere went down on our... So I can see it. I well, think it's, you know, Brent, all i got to say is we'll I have a fire stick, and I'm glad I went to bed for the show instead of trying to stay up and watch it, because how upset would I have been if I stayed up and still couldn't watch it? You'd be tired like me because I'm an idiot and I stayed up. <laughs> Frank, thank you. <laughs> That's what happens. Sometimes I just do the show... After being awake the whole night. All right, let's talk about Apple, the biggest and maybe the most important stock in the world. It is at a great run lately, up nearly 25% in just 90 days, and almost, not quite, but almost going positive on the year. Apple expected to roll out a new phone and some possible other products in a couple of weeks. So let's talk about it all with Daniel Flax of Newburger Berman. Uh, Daniel, Apple's probably going to get caught up in the, in the near term market volatility, so we don't need to focus on the day to day. Longer term, and by that I mean, you know, like the next couple of quarters or a year or so, that's what longer term means these days. What are you watching for at Apple most closely, and what are you recommending? Brian, I like the stock here, and my focus over the next couple of quarters and beyond is their product cycles. We should get new iPhones next month. Uh, We should continue to see new watches. Wearables, I think, is a very important and relatively early part of the story Uh, As we go into the fall, we should also see new Macs, new iPads, 
uh, services, I think, remains healthy. And so really, it's this broadening of the revenue drivers that I think propels Apple's story, their ecosystem, and ultimately their stock over the next one to two years. We're expecting that new phone on their big reveal day. I believe that is September 7th. Uh, Maybe some improvements to the Mac. Is it, though, all about the phone? The services business has really grown. In fact, Apple's number two business is larger than most number one businesses for S&P 500 companies. Is there some surprise that they could lay on us? Well, I think they're going to continue to push the phone experience forward. I think what matters for each generation of devices, it's this continued integration of the hardware, the software and the services in in a fun, easy and secure way that protects user privacy. Your comment on services, I think, is an important one, because even though it's a big business, you've seen in areas like Fitness Plus that they're continued to continuing to extend into new areas. I think they'll add additional content uh, for their TV offering. Gaming with their arcade offering, I think, is early in this potential there. So we see a lot that they can do in services, including in areas, for example, like healthcare over the next several years. So it's a very interesting and, and big uh, growth opportunity for the company. Yeah, I mean, it truly has been. If you look at the growth of services, you look at the revenue, if you stripped out services, you're like, holy smokes, this would be like, I don't know, whatever, the 50th biggest company in the S&P 500 by sales if the services business was ever just its own business. Are you happy with the valuation? Do you think Apple is getting the respect it deserves? Or is there some weird off chance that maybe Apple does at some point become two or three different companies? I think it's unlikely in, in the near to medium term that they that they were to split off their services business as one example. Part of what I think is really the, the, the magic of Apple is their ability to take what is a, a terrific user experience and extend it into newer markets uh, like fitness and healthcare, where we've seen with the watch. The other uh, or, or one of the other very important ingredients is really their ability to attract developers and really the developers help them to lay the foundation for what is an incredible user experience. It's this idea of giving them tools in areas, for example, like augmented reality, which will become a bigger part of the user experience in the next several years. So the health of the ecosystem, the devices, this integration across them, and so your watch uh, benefits from your phone and vice versa. A lot of that is what's important. And so as we think about where they're going to go, I think they will continue to extend it to new product areas, new service areas. And at the end, the end of the day, they need to deliver what is a differentiated user experience. And I think they can do just that. But you say buy the stock. You like it. I like the stock at current levels. I think they can uh, create additional shareholder value over the next one to two years. You made a lot of Apple fans happy on this Monday morning, Daniel Flax, and we appreciate it. We're happy you came on. Thank you. Have a great day. All right, on deck, cybersecurity getting the star-studded treatment, the new campaign by Amazon leaning on Hollywood to help keep your data safe. Dow futures down, NASDAQ futures off 1.5%. We're back right after this. All right, welcome or welcome back here to Worldwide Exchange. Not going to do the RBI this morning. Simply too much going on with the markets. We'll bring it back for tomorrow, promise, because the markets are going to be the story today. And that's our main job here, to bring you the update on how things are looking. And they're not looking great. Of course, Friday we saw a big sell-off. We talked about options expiration. 
We talked about the increase of possible volatility on Thursday and Friday. Market structure, well, that seemed to hit on Friday, and now we're seeing it follow through here. NASDAQ futures are off 2% right now. Dow futures down 332 points. So markets across the board are selling off. A lot of options repositioning going on. I know we're gonna, people are going to talk about why this is happening. Is it the Fed? Is it the European economy? Is it Russia? Is it gas? It may be all those things, but they're rolling into this big option story as well. And that market structure issue hitting markets right now. By the way, guys, can we quickly throw up the euro as well? Because earlier this morning, right before the show, we broke the buck. The euro fell below $1. We hit parity a couple of weeks ago, 1.0000 cents. We're right there now. But earlier this morning, it was 0.99. The first time the euro has fallen below the U.S. dollar in 20 years. That could hit corporate earnings for U.S. companies who sell a lot of stuff, especially into Europe. All right, Amazon is turning to a few of Hollywood's brightest stars to help tackle an issue that has only become bigger as technology becomes increasingly ingrained in our everyday lives. That is cybersecurity, namely preventing hacks, not on major companies, but on good folks like Frank Holland and I. Frank is back with more on this new campaign. Frank. Hey, good morning again, Brian. Well, 95% of cyber attacks are caused by human error, not sophisticated hacks or some other high-tech method. And that's why Amazon, the largest player in cloud infrastructure globally, is launching this public service announcement with Hollywood stars Michael B. Jordan and Tessa Thompson to shine some light on some of the easiest ways to prevent breaches and trying to bring some understanding to the mainstream about things like multi-factor authentication. You probably heard of it. Let me explain what it is. That's when you're required to enter a code you receive by email or text in addition to a password to gain access to a secure network. The PSA, as you can see, it clearly puts a lighthearted spin on data security, but the problem is actually very serious and it's growing. According to the FBI, losses from cybersecurity attacks have increased by 383% to over $6.9 billion over the last five years. Amazon has more than 40% of the global market. Its chief security officer says the goal is to help consumers and make them feel more comfortable with the transition to cloud. Customers feel better about their security when they've got full visibility into what they're doing, which is one of the, the core tenets of operating in a cloud. And does operating in the cloud drive more consumer online engagement? Yeah, it sure does. See, the PSA could also help with the adoption of Alexa in-home devices and in cars. The Alexa platform will be in 2023 model GM and Acura vehicles. Mainstreaming of cybersecurity also helps stocks that focus on things like multi-factor authentication, zero trust, and other advanced cybersecurity measures. And these stocks include Okta, VerifyMe, and Zscaler. Brian, back over to you. Is there anything just smart we can do, just viewers watching or listening right now on the radio, Frank, that they get quick action that we can take to protect ourselves? Yeah, I mean, absolutely, Brian. I mean, some of the stuff is common sense, but our lives are becoming so hectic and so much more digitally focused. A lot of times we're rushing. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm just trying to remember my password, much less remember other things. So things like making sure you don't click on phishing emails, um, going on sites and, and, and picking options for multi-factor authentication. Anybody who owns an iPhone, you're familiar with the term the cloud. On there, you have different methods of which you can log on and keep your personal data on your phone secure. I don't know about you. I have a lot of my very personal things on my phone. So there's a lot of little steps and, um, you know, there's a lot of different things we can do, small things, because, again, human error is generally the way that these hacks happen on a yeah. personal level and on a corporate level.
Yeah, and I also learned you got to hover over the email because sometimes what comes up is not right. the email address, which then you realize, oh, that's not Best Buy. That's like best.buy at <laughs> something else.com. Uh, Frank Collins, some good real-world advice there on an important story. Frank, thank you very much. Thank you, Brian. All right, now to the latest developments in China's ongoing heat wave. Continued high temperatures and a lack of rain forcing officials to extend power curbs in part of the country. That means that global companies with factories based in China may have to keep some of their doors closed even longer. You know, Shun joining us now with Beijing, and uh, we've been reading about the heat wave and the drought. Uh, Eunice, how severe has it been? Well, so far, it looks as though that power rationing is going to be in place until Thursday. At least that's what a lot of factories in the drought hit southwest have been saying, uh, that uh, this is all part of a top-level emergency response. Now, that region, which is heavily dependent on hydropower, has seen its riverbeds dry up under temperatures as high as 113 degrees. So manufacturers have been uh, instructed to either suspend or reduce their uh, capacity, and also hundreds of malls have also been told uh, by uh, some authorities to uh, cut down on their opening hours. Uh, Toyota, though, in terms of one um, industrial producer, has been able to secure a power generator to resume production today. Now, other cities like Shanghai have started to impose restrictions of their own. Um, They um, source electricity from the southwest. So Shanghai said that it's temporarily banning light shows and decorative lights, suspending their outdoor construction projects, and that they're going to be staggering their power consumption. Now, most companies say that they expect to see limited impact uh, from these power cuts as of now, though the weather forecasters have been saying that uh, the drought could last until September. So it's unclear exactly what the impact really will be. Though I have to say, Brian, uh, the weather forecasters in Mm. Sichuan, in that southwestern region, have said that they are hoping to see some rain on Wednesday, which would be very welcome. Just like Europe, everything is now relying on the weather. Kind of a sad state. Unishun, thank you very much. Pray for rain there and in Europe, folks. All right, on deck, a tough start to the trading week taking shape. Jeff Kilbert, thankfully, is here. He's going to break down the technical signals on where the market may be headed next. Get Jeff's valuable advice in a couple of minutes. Speaking of the market's next move, be sure to tune into Worldwide Exchange tomorrow for our conversation with Heyman Capital's Kyle Bass. Remember, Kyle, most known for subprime, but he was also a leader in the Greek debt crisis conversations in 2008-2009. We'll talk to him about Europe's increasingly dire situation, what he sees from China, Maybe what he sees from the American markets. That's our conversation with Kyle right here on Worldwide Exchange tomorrow. Can't tune in, set your DVR, or follow our podcast as always and listen later. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back. Let's get technical now with the markets and your money and the signals that we are seeing as traders gear up for the end of summer and what has historically been the worst month of the year for stocks, and that is September. Let's bring in our friend Jeff Kilberg, Sanctuary Wealth CIO and a CBC contributor, of course. Jeff, really great to have you on on this Monday. Stock futures there are down big. We saw this on Friday as well. We talked about options. Guggenheim, I sent you this note yesterday. Guggenheim out with a note saying that if the S&P 500 cannot hold its 200-day moving average or break above that 200-day moving average, then they believe, and that's what we're circling right now, we're pretty much on that 200-day and that downtrend. If we cannot break above that, 
the downtrend is still intact and it could be a rough fall. What do you say? Well, so it's a great point. That chart that you sent over from Guggenheim was actually true, and I agree with it, but to a certain extent, when you talk about the bear market rally, which everyone's talking about, there's a little bit of art and a little bit of science. If you talk about the move from June 15th, we've seen a sensation move in the S&P 500. But what's fascinating still is that we saw less than 20 trading days from that mid-June low, from the 50-day moving average all the way up to the 20-day moving average, where last Tuesday it went up and kissed that S&P 500 at 43.20. Now we are seeing a retracement here. And yes, this morning, the S&P 500 is down over 1%. We're seeing the VIX elevate back up to over 23. But I actually think this is quite healthy, Sully. That parabolic move we saw in oversold conditions, I think now we have a little bit of opportunity to back and fill. It's an old pit term we use in the Chicago Board Trade, but back and fill is actually quite healthy. And I do agree with the fact that we need to overtake the 200-day moving average, but nonetheless, it's a process here, Sully. We are so used to the velocity that's been injected into the marketplace in 2022, we're becoming impatient, and everyone's arguing, is it a bear market rally, or do we actually have footing in stocks again? Well, I guess a lot depends on your time frame, right, Jeff? I mean, for your clients at Sanctuary that are looking for 10 years out, uh, you're going to have a very different strategy than if somebody's saying, Jeff, what's going to happen next week? Well, you're absolutely right. And that's the conversation I have with a ton of sanctuary advisors. Should we reposition? Should we be tax loss harvesting? Should we be allocating here? Because we did go to cash heavily in the first and second quarter. So right now, right here is an opportunity. As you see the S&P 500, the air was really thin. So I think about it. When we saw that move above 4,300, we talked about how thin that air was in the S&P 500. Now it's back under 4,200. We're all awaiting the Fed this week. So there's going to be continued volatility. And that's certainly represented. But if you look at the NASDAQ, the NASDAQ 100, lens. That's a little bit different lens. You know, you actually saw it go from the lows in mid-June back above. Technically, it was a bull market because it went back up 20%. So there's a lot of different lenses to look through here. I think this is all about this midterm election year. This is all about the volatility we have to embrace instead of running away from. So we look at quality names. We look at equal weight in our portfolios. Look at some of the airlines. You've seen these airlines year to date being beaten up. There's opportunity across the board as we continue to see dispersion from sector to sector, Sully. Yeah. Well, you know what? I was in O'Hare recently, and I thought about you, Jeff, as a Chicago guy, because I, I don't think I've ever dog? seen more people in Yeah, no, I was running to catch a flight because my previous flight was delayed. I don't think I've ever seen more people in O'Hare, and that says something. If there is a consumer recession, it sure as heck ain't at O'Hare. No, you're absolutely right. And I think when I travel the country, I am seeing more and more activity. So I'm cautiously optimistic. I remain cautiously optimistic. But this earnings season, we're not given enough appreciation of the earnings season. We talk about all the different names. Certainly the bar has been lowered, but we have seen a great earnings season. And it goes back yeah. to the Fed. Right now, the CME Fed Watch tool is talking about it's kind of a coin toss between 50 basis points or 75 basis points. But there's a lot of time between now and then, Sully. Yeah. By the way, the FT just reporting that Citigroup is saying that UK inflation, inflation in England, is going to hit 18.5%. That's just a Citigroup report, Jeff, but we're very, we're, very bl- we're very blessed to be living in the United States right now, where no Europe and China have got a lot of bigger problems. Jeff Kilberg of Sanctuary Wealth. Appreciate it, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much. All right, folks, busy hour. Kind of went by like that. A lot going on. Stock futures down. The euro dollar at parity. Europe's energy crisis rolls on. We'll see you tomorrow. Squawk and the gang picking up all your coverage right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 